the game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. You play to win the game. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Can't wait. You're listening to the official Jets podcast, a Jets 360 production. Jets Nation, what's going on? Ethan Greenberg and Eric Allen back in studio for the official Jets podcast. I haven't left the studio for a couple hours. Well, well, you and I I I are back in studio. Okay. For the game preview. All right. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. All right. Happy December to you, Greens. Oh, wow. Yeah. December. (laughs) It's coming in real, real hot. And it's like 50 plus out. It's crazy. Well, it's not December weather. I haven't checked the forecast for Sunday as the Jets uh, finish up their two-game homestand against mm-hmm. Kansas City Chiefs. That's TBD because I haven't checked it either. But the Jets right now, another tough loss against the Panthers, EA. What's your biggest takeaway from Sunday's game? Nah, it's, it's tough because uh, the Jets are doing a lot of good things. You know, we think about what they did defensively, five uh, pass defenses in all, I thought. Both Morris Claiborne and Buster Screen were extremely effective on the outside. I liked a lot of what Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers did in terms of pressure packages. When you hold Carolina, a team that was ranked number one in the National Football League in terms of third down efficiency to just three of 14, you're doing a lot of things right. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, you two receivers go over 100 yards. Robbie Anderson, wow, fantastic first touchdown that got the Jets back into the game. Josh McCown showing the confidence in the second-year receiver, throwing in a double coverage. That was a key point in the game. The Jets are down 12-3, then make it 12-10 there, and they ultimately take the lead on Robbie's second touchdown in the third quarter. But Greens, much like the Atlanta game, Jets very close, but unfortunately not able to finish. And I think it was a very dejected locker room that we were both in on Sunday. I think you hit the nail right on the head because there are a lot of good things that Jets fans can take away from this game. Josh McCown threw for 354 yards, and that's the second time this season he's eclipsed the 300-yard mark. He threw for three touchdowns. You talked about Robbie Anderson. I mean, Cam Newton only threw for 168 yards, completed 59% of his passes. But conversely is that Devin Funches, the Panthers wide receiver, went for over 100 yards. And so it is kind of a, a different game in that sense because we've heard so much about finishing, climbing over the hump, and is one of those games. And I think dejected is the perfect word for it. So moving on to the Chief, this Chiefs team, you talk about a desperate team clawing for a victory. I mean, I don't think anyone fits the bill more than the Kansas City Chiefs because they're on a five out of six slide. But they started off the season smoking hot. Yeah, both teams actually entered this contest with five losses in their last six games. Uh, the Chiefs opening night at Gillette Stadium, I think they had more than four, 500 total yards of offense. Kareem Hunt with a great introduction to the National Football League, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Alex Smith started the season, I think, he had, what, 16 touchdowns to zero interceptions yeah. or 18 touchdowns to zero interceptions. But what stands out to you right now about the Chiefs is that offense that was surging early, it is, it, their pace has slowed down to a snail's pace. Because last week, Buffalo went in there a struggling defense, and they completely shut down the run. They did not give up any big plays to Alex Smith in a passing game, and the Chiefs were only able to total 10 points so this will be a desperate football team and 
I'm really intrigued by the matchup anytime Andy Reid and his offense goes against Todd Bowles and his defense because Todd Bowles, of course, worked for Andy Reid in 2012, was the secondary coach for the Eagles, and then later that season became Andy Reid's interim defensive coordinator. These guys know each other very well. We'll check in with Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest in just a couple seconds here, but before we bring him in, what do you think has caused this Kansas City offense that had a lot of folks believing they would be sitting atop the AFC at this point in the season, and now they're scrambling for a hold in the AFC when, West. When I see a struggling offense, I always start up front with the offensive line. I don't even look at the quarterback. So, to me, when you see Kareem Hunt being completely shut down by the Bills, what that tells me is Buffalo sending a lot of guys in the box, and Kansas City is not getting plays down the field like they did early in the season. Because if you get plays down the field, that's going to loosen up that box. So right now, if the Chiefs can't get a run game going, then it's one-dimensional. And people are taking away Tyreek Hill down the field. Travis Kelsey's a very impressive tight end, uh, the favorite target of Alex Smith. But you're not going to win just having short gains all the time. You need explosion plays offensively. Conversely, that's what I love about the Jets right now. You're seeing some explosion plays offensively, especially from Robbie Anderson. Hey, wouldn't it be something if Robbie Anderson gets matched up with Darrell Rivas a time or two? Because Darrell Rivas knows just how fast Robbie is. Uh, he's becoming more of a complete receiver right in front of our eyes. Uh, Revis coming here. Going to be interesting to see his snap count this week. But across the way, watch out for Marcus Peters, one of the NFL's top cornerbacks. And he's a gambler. He's a risk taker. He's always looking for an interception. All right. I think it's time to catch up with Matt Derrick. Time to hit the phones. All right, Greens, let's bring in Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest. Matt, the Chiefs started with a 5-0 record, but suddenly they've lost 5 out of 6. They're hanging on to the AFC West lead with a 6-5 and record. What has happened in Kansas City? Yeah, you know, it's, it's not one thing. It's been kind of a cavalcade of a disaster here. Uh, early on, it was the defense that couldn't stop anybody. Uh, Their they're, they're overall of the season are still 28th, 29th against the pass and the run. Uh, and that's what really got them in trouble early there. Their offense was masking it during the 5 and out start. But uh, when the offense starts to slow down, uh, they really had a hard time stopping anybody. But in the middle of this losing streak, now they've lost five of six, it's really reversed itself. The defense is suddenly playing pretty well. Uh, granted, it's against some offenses that have been struggling, like with the Giants and the Bills. But they've, they've really tightened up some things. I mean, they, they tightened up the, the run a little bit against Dallas, and it's just been improving week by week that the defense looks pretty good, and now it's the offense that looks absolutely lost. And once again, I, I, I don't think you can point to any one thing. I mean, Alex Smith is playing poorly. Offensive line's playing poorly. They can't get a run game going. Uh, it's just a mess right now. Matt, what's going on with the Chiefs offensively? I know a lot of people in Kansas City are very upset with Alex Smith, but when I look at an offense and I see struggles like the Chiefs are having right now, I look up front at the offensive line, not so much at Alex Smith. Well, I, I, it absolutely does start up front uh, with the offensive line, and that's why I think it's a little bit you know, too early to pin all of the problems on Alex Smith uh, because the offensive line has not played well. They've had some injuries. 
they've still got some, some positions that they're trying to firm up and figure out who's the best player in those roles. And I'm not convinced that even though you've got Mitch Morse and Laurent Duvernay, Chardiv, who've come back, uh, that they're 100%. Um, I, it's, it looks like a little bit like they may have been rushed to come back because the offense was kind of struggling a little bit in their absence. So it definitely starts there. And, you know, and, and Alex Smith has probably had a little bit happy feet lately. And I think part of that is that uh, he's not completely has a lot of faith right now in the offensive line. I think that's kind of well earned. Um, for the Patrick Mahomes discussion, it was inevitable. The moment that they drafted him in the first round, that there was going to be this conversation at some point if, if Alex Smith ever struggled. And, and we're certainly at that point now that people are asking the question. Um, but will the Chiefs make the move? You know, Andy Reid told us last night, no, he's not there right now. He's got he's got, he's got a couple of other things to, to work on. And, and I think that's where his mindset is, is that he sees that this offense has a lot of problems right now. And changing the quarterback really doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Uh, if, if the offensive line is not performing well, if you can't get the run game going, if the wide receivers are not on the same page, uh, that that's changing the quarterback doesn't do anything. So uh, I would fully expect that over the next couple of weeks what he wants to try and do is he wants to ferment that offensive line, he wants to approve their execution, work on their game plan, and if they're still stuck, then, yeah, I, mean, I think the quarterback conversation is going to come up. So if you're the Jets' defense, how do you attack this Kansas City Chiefs offense that we've talked about is struggling as of late? Because from where we sit is, to me, the offense kind of runs through Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Yeah, it does, and it certainly does. And, you know, one thing the teams have really had a lot of uh, success with the last few weeks has been just throwing a soft, or a soft zone defense at the Chiefs. It's not something that the, the Chiefs haven't beaten in the past. They certainly can. Uh, but with their timing issues and the problems that they have, uh, they have not been able to beat teams deep right now. That's that's really what keyed this success early on in the season was these big plays. You know, if you're making 50-yard touchdowns on a fairly regular basis, and they were at, they had a streak where it was eight, nine games in a row where they'd had a, a touchdown of 50 yards or more, you're making those big plays. It's, it's, it's tough to stop. And, but right now the Chiefs aren't hitting on those. So teams are playing a little bit of a soft zone against them and just attacking the ball. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, Kareem Hunt, who's so good at, at finding holes and breaking tackles, uh, right now teams are hitting him at the line of scrimmage. And when you do that, when you attack like that, it's it's difficult to then just be able to move forward and pick up yards. So that's what teams have been doing lately. And I, I fully expected after last year's game at Arrowhead, there's probably – I know there's guys still on that Jets team that have a lot of pride – and they don't want to see a repeat of what happened at Arrowhead last year. We're talking Chiefs football with Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest. Matt, why did the Chiefs go out and sign Darrell Revis at this point so late in the season? Also, do you anticipate Revis playing outside at the cornerback position, or perhaps maybe Bob Sutton will use him some at safety? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know that we're going to see him at safety right off the bat. What the what the Chiefs like to do with their, their three, four sub packages is they've got Steven Nelson who starts at right corner, and then he typically moves into the slot, and a, a nickel corner comes in his place on the right side. Uh, that's where it seems most likely would be Rebus's role eventually is, is playing that right corner in the sub packages. They, they play a lot of those sub packages, so you know it could end up being 50 60% of the snaps from just that alone. Um, but they really like Steven Nelson in the slot, so I don't think that they're going to be necessarily using Rebus there. They certainly could. I think they're just, they want to right now, they're just going to probably test a few things to find out what really is their best secondary package. 
but a big part of the reason why they were signing him was just they were just giving up too many yards through the air. Mm. Um, they've got Marcus Peters on one side, who has been a pretty effective shutdown corner. But what it's led teams to do is just to attack that right side of the defense. And and Terrence Mitchell, you know, he'd been benched for a few games, came back, looked looked like he, he had really kind of you know fixed up some things and tightened up some things in his game. Um, but he had, had, you know, through the first half of the season, given up more yards than any other corner in the league. And a big reason for that was just teams were just continually attacking that side of the field to avoid Marcus Peters. Matt, I got a tremendous amount of respect for Bob Sutton. He was here for close to 15 years as a Jets defensive assistant. Now, of course, he's a defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He has one of the finer cornerbacks in the National Football League in Marcus Peters. How do they use Peters right now? And is it possible he shadows one of the hottest receivers in the NFL right now, Robbie Anderson? Yeah, that's one thing that Sutton has not done in Kansas City is ever, you know, let, let, his, let his guys travel. He has definitely set him at the time those two sections of the field, and, you know, Marcus Peters has been locked down there at left corner. He's never moved or traveled. Uh, so I, I, I don't think so. I mean, that generally what he has done in Kansas City uh, over the last five seasons has always been to lock down those corners and then move his slot to wherever he needs to. So I'm imagining that Grievous is probably going to play a lot of that right corner uh, because Nelson, that his stronger position is in the slot. So that's where I imagine he will be. But, you know, it's hard to tell because the designing of Grievous is certainly a, a game changer to a degree with his defense if he's healthy. How do you think the Chiefs have handled the loss of Eric Berry, and what is the safety landscape now without Berry? Because with Robbie Anderson being on a tear, maybe the Jets will take a few shots deep. Yeah, it, you know that's really been interesting because with you know with Berry going out, what they've really had to do is lean a lot more on Dan Sorensen as, as that as that strong safety role, and and Sorensen is probably one of the better third safeties in the league. He's a, he's a very aggressive player. He's a hard hitter, um, but coverage is not necessarily his forte. He he doesn't have quite the speed as, as, that Barry has and the coverage reading abilities that Barry has. So teams have kind of you know beat them a little bit there, uh, and they've also have played with struggling trying to figure out the right three four lineup and their their inside linebackers. They've played a lot of safeties in the box, so I think that has exposed them deep a little bit. The last couple of weeks, Reggie Ragland, who they picked up from from Buffalo, has really stepped up in that big nickel role. So it's allowed them to go with more a, more of a three four traditional front and allowing those safeties to play a little bit deeper. And I do think that certainly helped because the the defense has looked tighter. They haven't been giving up as many big plays through the air. So when the Chiefs are in that formation, they they look like they're pretty they're rock and rolling right now. It's when they do go to their deeper, you know, nickel and dime packages and have more say, you know, secondary players on the field, that I think they get a little bit exposed. Justin Houston still rocking and rolling, leading the team, I believe, with eight and a half sacks. Across the way, uh, are the Chiefs getting good production away from Houston? You know, that's really been the struggle uh, because Houston has. It's had a pretty good season overall. I mean, uh, he's had some, some slumps, uh, and a big part of that has just been that teams have been able to, to double and even triple team him at times. Uh, D. Ford, who is typically on the other side of the defense from Houston, has been banged up. He's got a bad back. Uh, he's only played six games this season, so he's really missed a lot of time. Uh, Tom Baha Lee, who has only played two games this year, he was on the pup list first half of the season. Uh, he's got a rookie, Tano Passanjo, who shows a lot of promise, but they – have only been getting him a handful of snaps of uh, snaps per game. So as a result, Houston's had to play a lot out there. Um, he's almost become an every-down linebacker. And at his age and, and with his history with his knees, I think that's 
that's really been kind of a strain. They're asking a lot from him, and they haven't been able to give him any support on the other side. Most of the support that Houston's been getting has been from the, the defensive interior. Benny Logan, Chris Jones, Raheem Nunez, Roaches, these, these guys did a pretty good job of helping collapse the pocket, but they haven't really been able to get a lot of the pass rush generated on the other side across opposite from Houston. This is a fascinating matchup because the Chiefs right there in the playoff mix still lead the AFC West with the 6-5 and five mark but they've tasted a lot of losing lately. Conversely, the Jets, each and every week, they're in ball games, but they've lost five or six themselves. So I know both teams are going to be looking at this game as one that they have to have and also one that they should have. How is the locker room in Kansas City, and how do you anticipate they will respond this weekend on the road? Well, you know, I didn't really since that much frustration or that much panic in this team until yesterday. That was a very quiet locker room after that Bills game because I think there's a lot of just really pondering right now about where things are and how they've gotten to this situation. Because this is a team that certainly never imagined that they'd be sitting at 6-5, and five, that they'd be losing 5-6. of six. And there's a lot of questions, I think, in there right now. Now, you know, Andy Reid, one of his strengths of a head coach is that He's never really lost the team, and this team has had you know losing streaks before. They they opened the season one and five back in 2015. They lost Jamal Charles, and Andy Reid finds a way to reel off ten straight wins. So, you know, he has an ability to keep these guys together. And right now, they're saying all the right things about no one's pointing any fingers. That we that's all that's on all of us, and we've got to we've got to stick together. So far, they're doing that. So there's none of these signs that I see of, of this locker room falling apart. But they've certainly, at this point, they've got to figure out what it is that's going on. Um, but they've Chiefs have been huge, big favorites the last two weeks. There were teams that were coming off big losses on losing streaks and haven't been able to beat them yet. So at this point, it's hard to imagine the Chiefs, you know, going into this game feeling like they're the favorites in any way in this game. They've got to feel like that they're the underdogs the way they're playing right now. You can follow him at Matt Derrick on Twitter. He writes for Chiefs Digest, does a fantastic job, and he's coming to MetLife Stadium for the second time in three weeks. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Sounds great. Talk to you later. All right, Greens, the one thing that I take away from Matt Derrick right there is the Chiefs' sense of urgency after that Bills game because suddenly it's five out of six. You got to still lead the AFC West with a six and five record, but right behind them is an awfully hot LA Chargers team who is five and six, who is actually coming to MetLife Stadium to play the Jets on Christmas Eve. But before we start looking at that matchup, we got to continue talking Jets Chiefs. Remember, the Chiefs came here a couple weeks ago, faced a struggling Giants mm-hmm. team, did got nothing going offensively, and lost that game in overtime to a big blue squad who has. Had a lot of blues, a lot of downs this season. Obviously, Andy Reid is one of the premier offensive minds in the NFL. But to me, it's just it's a very curious case because the narrative the past couple seasons have has been the Chiefs have been one of the premier teams in the regular season. And then once the postseason comes around, they kind of like tail off. And one that comes to mind is the Colts game in Indianapolis when they had that huge lead. The Colts won. Uh, listen, uh, but, but I know no, what you're talking no, about. No, no, but but this year, right from the gate, it's it seemed as if the Chiefs had put that behind them and they were going to take that next step. And here we are in December now, and it's okay. Maybe they won't win the AFC West. So I, I just think it's a very interesting case as a whole for this game in particular. They have a veteran coach in Andy Reid, who said this week the NFL has its ebbs and flows. 
So if you're in Kansas City right now, are you panicked as a fan? Probably a little bit, I, right? I, I, I think it's safe to, to say that. But yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if Andy Reid's panicking just, yeah. uh, just yet. And um, a wounded animal is always the most dangerous mm-hmm. animal. For this matchup in particular, how do you defend Tyreek Hill? Is it Morris Claiborne, who's been tremendous? He had a great game against the Panthers. Or do you line up someone quicker, smaller, like Buster Screen? Well, I I don't think you go one-on-one with him. I think a lot of times you bracket Tyreek Hill. You get some safety help over the top. The other thing, and when you mention Hill, you got to watch out special teams-wise because the Jets' coverage units this year have been phenomenal for the most part. And that was an anomaly so far this season, 2017. Uh, Kalen Clay goes 60 yards uh, for the Panthers for the score. Tyreek Hill can take it the distance any time. So Lachlan Edwards, the big Aussie, cannot outkick his coverage this week. Bart Scott and I actually took a look at one of Tyreek Hill's returns. It was his lone touchdown this season as a returner against the Houston Texans when one of the game's best punters, Shane Luckler, outkicked his coverage. He'd like 65-yard kick. The problem with the 65-yard kick is nobody's down there. You mm-hmm. need more hang time against a guy like Tyreek Hill. So, yes, you have to be concerned with him offensively, but you have to be very concerned with him from a special teams perspective. And if you have punt coverage right on, Locke's got to put it to the right, and you've got to play that boundary. You cannot give this guy time and open field. Brant Boyer last year said that Tyreek Hill is the best returner in the league, and he's a dual threat, and you touched on it. And special teams maybe often overlooked, shouldn't be, but I think that's just that's a fact of the matter and that this week it's prevalent because of someone like Tyreek Hill. But I think we should uh, go down to Kentucky. What do you think about that? Let's bring him in. Let's bring in the gunslinger. Chad, from your vantage point, watching this football team right now, what do the Jets have to do to get over the hump in the fourth quarter? Well, Eric, it appears to me they need to get out of their own way. Um, you know, we talk about a lot on this uh, podcast as well as just throughout the year on how a lot of teams in this league lose football games and the opponent doesn't necessarily beat them. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday. You had a Carolina team who I think is struggling offensively to find rhythm um, to really find themselves in this particular game. They couldn't find themselves running the ball or passing the ball, really. And the Jets found a way to allow them to get into rhythm and, and to win the football game. Uh, that's just plain and simple uh, how it happened. Uh, you have a return fumble for a touchdown. You have a special teams touchdown. You have two fourth-down conversions on drives and ended in points. And then when you needed to stop, to give your offense a chance to go down and win the game, you have a personal foul penalty. And so with all those things being said, not very many teams in this league, no matter how good you are, can overcome those odds, uh, regardless of what your record is. To borrow a phrase from you, buddy, Josh McCown for 11 games, for the most part, has played winning football. What do you make of some of these late-game decisions where – They have resulted in big-time mistakes, whether it be the interception against Miami or this past Sunday, as you mentioned. He's trying to dirt the football, but unfortunately, it's ruled a fumble. Luke Kuechly returns it the other way, and the game turns in an instant. Yeah, I think uh, 
this Sunday is probably most frustrating for Josh because when you go back and look at it, you know you just eat it right there, take the sack. One of those times where you don't try to make a situation uh, worse. Uh, you don't try to make something out of the situation that's completely not there. Um, and that's, that's a hard one to take for him, but the bottom line is you can't do that. And that's that's part of that winning football formula. As a quarterback, you you know that uh, there's certain things that you cannot do, and, and that's one of them. And that's probably what's most frustrating for Josh is, um, you know, one play like that sours a really good performance, um, a performance that, quite frankly, he should have four to five touchdowns mm-hmm. uh, in this performance. And um, with no interceptions and one play sours that effort, uh, which is unfortunate. Um you know, because there's a lot of teams that are having these type of quarterback plays that are able to overcome them, and unfortunately for the Jets, the margin of error for victory is so small uh, that none of these plays can happen in a negative fashion in order to give the Jets a chance to win. Chad, it seemed that the Jets might have had difficulty entering the game, moving the football, only because the Panthers came into Sunday's contest with the second overall defense and... Josh McCown threw for 354 yards the second time this season that he's eclipsed the 300 mark through three touchdown passes. You said it should have been four or five. What made the offense so successful against this Panthers defense that really hasn't shown a lot of weakness all year? Well, I think the Jets came out um, and did a great job of saying, you know what, with this defense being so good, and they've always been good against the run, that we have to uh, make some hay on first and second down with our passing game, and they were able to do that. Uh, you also had the big play ability. You know, the Jets were able to use Robbie Anderson down the field and make some big plays. And against a team that is as consistent as the Panthers, the Jets were able to find some chunk yardage plays to make these drives a little bit smoother and a little bit easier for them. And, and that's what they were able to do on first and second down. Uh, which were, uh, that, that allowed them to score those 27 points. What's the ceiling on Robbie Anderson right now? He's got touchdowns in five consecutive games. He's coming off a career-best performance, two touchdowns, nearly 150 yards through the air. Josh McCown is developing more confidence in him by the week. You can see that happening. I think before the season, a lot of people said, yeah, Robbie Anderson, he's a speed receiver. But now he's adding to that repertoire. Can he be a number one receiver in the National Football League? Well, the key for, for Robbie Anderson is to continually make a play or two down the field, which then allows his speed uh, to be used on the shorter routes and the intermediate routes and those go-to type situations because they know he has proven he can go down the field and make plays. Uh, the touchdown catch and, and double coverage was a huge play uh, for Robbie and the Jets, but even for how you can use Robbie to attack because he's a lot of times when people refer to, quote, a speed receiver, they know if you let him get behind, he's going to make a play or two. But this guy's been able to make plays uh, in traffic, make plays down the field, which now creates that threat. And so that then loosens up the coverage on the shorter and intermediate routes for him to not only be a down-the-field threat, but he's a threat anytime. And that's important because now you can see that the quarterback in the count has really developed confidence in him and just doesn't look for Robbie down the field. He looks for Robbie all over the field. And that's a completely different mindset. Uh, And then when you add in Curse, a bigger receiver that can also make plays, 
then you feel pretty good about that one-two punch. How much did you appreciate that second touchdown? McCown looks over the middle, flushed out of the pocket, rolls to his right at the 40, directing traffic, heaves one down the sideline. Robbie Anderson, wide open, he's got it! That's a jet touchdown! That was a broken play. That was all schoolyard between Josh McCown and Robbie Anderson. McCown pointed deep. Anderson saw him, took off, and the Jets have the lead. Well, that's, that's next-level football as far as a quarterback and receiver truly understanding each other and feeling really comfortable with each other. Uh, you also have a receiver in Robbie Anderson who uh, he did a great job of not stepping out of bounds, yep. understanding where he was. Uh, that's some next-level things there as far as uh, quarterback play, receiver play, and just good football between two teammates that, you, quite frankly, you can't coach. That is a feel, and, and, and kudos to them for being able to work hard throughout the year to gain that feel for each other. It's not like these guys have played with each other for years and years. You typically see those types of plays with quarterbacks and receivers that have played four to six years together. This is a, a one-year occurrence, which is, is quite impressive. What needs to happen for the Jets to have success this upcoming Sunday against the Chiefs, against the defense that started off kind of slow in the beginning of the year, has come on as of late and has one of the premier corners in the National Football League in Marcus Peters, and then, of course, Darrell Rivas, the former Jet, making his debut as a Kansas City Chief at MetLife Stadium. Well, first of all, you are playing a team who typically does not beat itself. Um, Alex Smith, the quarterback, is that way, um, and the team has adopted that type of mentality. On the flip side, you're also playing a team that is completely struggling for an identity and looking for a glimmer of hope, looking for a spark. And so as a team, the Jets cannot give the Chiefs a spark. They cannot ignite their flame and be able to you know, be the, the, the reason that the Chiefs find their way again because they are completely sputtering right now. And they're just looking for a team to kind of spark them. What do you expect happening, though? Because this is a Chiefs team that from afar looks like they are in free fall. But I would have said the same thing about the Buffalo Bills last week who went to Arrowhead on a three-game losing streak, and they shut down the Chiefs. Now you got a Kansas City team who was at MetLife Stadium a couple weeks ago against the New York Giants, they couldn't do anything offensively. So what do you think happens, and how about your thoughts on the game inside the game, the play caller Andy Reid, and a former guy on his staff in Philadelphia, Todd Bowles, the respect factor right there, and what goes into developing game plans on each side between those two? Well, I think for the Jets and for Coach Bowles, they still realize that this Chiefs team, uh, they have playmakers, and they have uh, players that can change the game with one play, uh, be it speed, uh, physicality, ball skills, all those different things. They also have a defense and a coordinator in Bob Sutton that Coach Bowles is familiar with that has the ability to make plays and get turnovers and change the game as well. So although this is a struggling team, you've got to be really concerned about, okay, how do we not uh, give them those opportunities? How do we make them earn everything that they get, both defensively and offensively? And so that does play into the play calling. That doesn't mean you're going to be conservative. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to make sure that 
you eliminate as many chances as possible for these guys to get loose, as well as defensively for them to make plays either through sacks or interceptions. And so as an offense, player-wise, ball security is the number one key to this game. Just like we said when the Jets played the Bills, it would be a game that the team that turns the ball over will probably lose, and that's exactly what happened. And so this is going to be one of those similar games. You have a quarterback that's similar to Tyrod Taylor and the Bills that takes care of the football historically, doesn't give the opponent chances. Um, You have a defense that likes to try to take the ball away, but at the same time, they don't give up a whole lot. Uh, When you look at the Bills-Chiefs game, it's a 16-10 to game, so you know it's not just a high-scoring affair. It's going to be one of those games that probably, if everything's played equal, should be a 17-14 to game go either way. If you throw turnovers in, uh, into the mix, then you get that 34-21 to game that the, the Jets had uh, against the Bills, and that could go either way depending on who's the team that will turn the ball over. The Chiefs' offense, it's predicated on Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, but Outside of those three guys, there hasn't there hasn't really been a lot of production. So, from your perspective, how do you go about limiting these guys? Is there is there a priority aspect? And you know, what do you how how do you expect Coach Bowles to attack these three guys on the Chiefs' offense that are have been boomer bust so far this season? Yeah, I think it's situational for those three guys. If you just had to list them in order, uh, I think it would go Hunt, Hill. And Kelsey, but in each situation, one of those players comes to the forefront. Uh, whether it be red zone with Kelsey, uh, whether it be you know, down the field chunk plays with Hill, uh, first down production with Hunt, those types of things. Whatever those situations are, as they do their film study, then uh, you've got to you know push one in front of the other. So it's going to be important that the Jets' defense, as players, are really uh, understanding situational awareness and understand what each situation brings and who that number one is. And a great defense and a great coordinator always figures out who the number one option is. Take that away, make the two and three beat you. And so that's going to be important with their mixes of coverages uh, and understanding the situational awareness and who they really need to focus on. Well, it's going to be a fun one, and we got a special treat on Sunday because you are actually coming up to MetLife Stadium. and. You're going to appear on, and I don't even know if you know this, so I'm going to make an announcement to you right now. 11.45 a.m., Chad Pennington will be on Facebook as we talk about Jets, Chiefs, just a couple minutes before kickoff. How about that? Wow, it's awesome to be on a need-to-know basis. Honestly, I didn't even know that until now. So, uh, hey, like any good quarterback will do, you make an audible and you roll with it. <laughs> we'll see you up here this weekend, buddy. Okay, guys, thanks. EA, something that I thought was pretty interesting is that when we asked Chad about how do you rank the Chiefs playmakers in Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, he said that it's really dependent on situational football. I think that's I think that's a tremendous point that I think fans have to take notice for because obviously on paper the Chiefs have a good offense that can attack you in many ways, but it just depends on what they're faced with. And Kareem Hunt, as a rookie, a third-round pick, is – torched the league in the beginning of the season. And Travis Kelsey, we didn't touch on him yet, but he's one of the league's best tight ends, and he's been doing it for a long time, not to mention he's Alex Smith's safety blanket. The Jets did play uh, Greg Olson for a little bit on Sunday Mm -hmm. before he exited. Uh, That was a tough break for the Panthers. But with that being said, 
Uh, I think this is a game where you got to set the edge because they're deadly. Kareem Hunt is deadly if he gets to the edge. Uh, Jordan Jenkins does a thankless job for this team at times, and he plays a strong side linebacker where he's playing over the tight end. He's turning things inside so the other guys can get tackles. I think Demario Davis and Darren Lee are both playing at a high level. Um, I think you might see the Jets play this a little bit differently this week. Um, they went to the blitz early and often against the Carolina Panthers. But if you load the box against Kansas City, of late they have shown an inability to beat you down the field. So if the Jets can play this thing in a phone booth, I wouldn't worry about it. Jamal Adams probably sees a lot of Travis Kelsey, you would think. Um, and you talked about Morris Claiborne before. Maybe he sees a lot of Tyreek Hill, but he'll have some safety help at times. And my thing is for Kansas City, who is that other guy who is going to beat you? The one thing that Pennington did mention is that Alex Smith will run the football. So, But, again, you just don't want them to get any confidence because right now they're in a funk, and they're used to being in a funk. So the Jets so far have shown – the ability to bounce back, be ready, play with juice, energy, and passion each and every week. That's what I anticipate Sunday against the Chiefs. All right, and that's all we have here on the official Jets podcast game preview. Again, Jets-Chiefs this Sunday, 1 p.m. MetLife Stadium, the second-to-last home game in MetLife Stadium this season. It's weird to think about, but that's a fact in that the Jets' final home game will be, what, Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve Christmas against the Chargers. Day. So after this, mm-hmm. it's three or four on the road, starting in Denver, then New Orleans. It's a homecoming for John Morton. He'll go back and face one of his uh, former mentors, and Sean Payton, of course. And then the season will end against the New England Patriots on New Year's Eve. All right, but Week 13 action this Sunday, Jets-Chiefs at MetLife Stadium. That's all we got here today. For Eric Allen, I'm Ethan Greenberg.